0: Hello, and welcome to Farmer Farmerama. This month we explore an innovative model for ecological restoration in the uplands that's a combination of rewilding and regenerative farming techniques. We head to Kenya to hear about tree planting with farmers there, and why the future's bright. And we end up in Los Angeles, speaking to a gardener who's reckoning with the words we use, and proposing a new approach to the language of regeneration.
1: This episode is supported by Treedom. Treedom make it easy for you and I to support a farmer in Africa or South America to plant a tree. To date, over a million trees have been planted by local farmers, bringing environmental, social, and financial benefits to their communities. Once you do buy a tree with Treedom, you can also follow its journey online. It's a brilliant gift, and we really recommend learning more about it and the good work that they're doing if you head to treedom.com. Net.
0: Caroline Grindrod has farmed for many years using different regenerative practices to optimise her farming system. Over the years, she's recognised that upland farming systems worked best using a combined approach of rewilding and regenerative agriculture. She now works as a consultant, bringing that knowledge to many upland farms through her community interest company, Wilderculture. Caroline also has an online shop, Primal meat, which sells one hundred percent pasture fed meat and is an accredited holistic grazing consultant.
2: the way i've started describing wilder culture is it 's a hybrid between rewilding and regenerative grazing, so we all know well not we all don 't know, but there is a growing number of people that understand how to use mob grazing and regenerative grazing and and, and that can work pretty well. And, and these should, things should never be a formula, but, you know, we know how to do that reasonably well in the in the lowland areas uh, or areas where you can paddock down uh, into small areas. But, you know, in, when you've got a, a huge fell, that's, you've got sort of five or six flocks potentially sharing a large mountain with no fences in between because they're all hefted um, and nobody can agree on anything. And if you reduce your numbers, everybody else' is fill in, uh, your space, you know, these are really difficult cultural contexts, and and that makes life a lot, a lot more, a lot more c- confusing. So we've had, we really wanted to work on how could we make this work. And nearly all of these projects, um, whether they're, they're farming projects or driven by ecological restoration like rewilding, all fall down on the back of the social piece not being fully addressed. So people don't understand how important it is. They think they can just come up with a set of prescriptions for land management and um, as long as the farmers or or the the managers will follow those that they'll work and of course it just doesn't work and that's what holistic management is all about is the understanding that there's more to it that we need to address the social issues and that might be the fact that you know farmers or farmers want to be farmers they don't necessarily want to be paid to to just look after wildlife although it's becoming a very important part of it you know in rewilding projects similarly you know you're working in places where we've got a rich cultural heritage of upland management whether that's you know management for deer grouse uh, or sheep and it's got to be addressed and incorporated or at least understood better I think and we hope that with wilder culture that's what we can achieve we can come up with bespoke models for different situations whether that's a grouse moor or a sheep farm but really we're looking at how do we manage large blocks of land um, in ways that suit the people that are actually running it and it's economically viable because again lots of conservation organizations doing great stuff but if it doesn't pay the bills on its own right it's never going to take off throughout all of the landowners that are privately owned it's only ever going to sort of be limited to where conservation organizations can fund it so we're really keen on developing practical effective large-scale applications of this So that people will just think this makes sense. It's better for us in lots of different ways. It's better because we're enjoying our management. It's better for the the livestock. It's more profitable. And of course, at the same time, it's extremely effective at restoring the ecology um, as well. And what that looks like in many of our projects so far is a kind of splitting the farm into productive area and, and sort of hill area, if you like, that's less productive and running it like two two blocks management blocks so we have um, generally speaking on the three projects we've got we've got what we're calling the winter block which is that the hilly area that's less productive is rested all summer so all the trees can grow we want, there we want to just allow it to succeed to a wood pasture type environment so everything can grow unhindered from grazing and then we're during that period we'll use the in and paddock that and, and sort of do regenerative grazing and management through those in by areas, more like your conventional sort of mob grazing, and then reverse it so that it, that gets a rest all winter. That means that you're getting a nice, warm thatch put down on the soil surface, so that stuff grows a bit earlier in the spring and everything's the soil is protected and all the microbes can do their stuff through the winter. And then, um, as I say, they got, they have deferred grazing that's had a full summer's rest so that they can pretty much, we can get away from using any tractors, having to make hay, you know, it's a transition. So this takes a bit of time, but eventually that's the the aim is to get to the point where we can pretty much be, you know, not needing any fossil fuel use at all, um, or it's very minimal and that will be sequestering carbon. So in theory, you know, we should be, putting more down than we're putting out and, and at the same time we're really hoping that we can optimize biodiversity and that all the early indications show that that's definitely the case. Rewilding is brilliant we've, just, we've had such wonderful results from such great projects with rewilding you know NEPs just led the way and um, I'm certainly not thinking that wilder culture is an alternative you know we want both and similarly we want conventional farming too or, or certainly a more regenerative version so this is just another option within the suite of land management options I think if we rewilded all of the uplands that seems like a great idea and people sort of use this very simplistic calculations about what food can be produced and the fact that that's less productive so you know we just we should just concentrate on producing more intensively on other areas but i think what we've learned with um regenerative is that actually it doesn't need, necessarily need to be less and actually what's really important is the nutrient density of the food that's been produced so plant-based foods that can be produced very intensively certainly in a conventional system are very low in nutrients and also i think that again if we're taking a holistic approach to management we've got to realize that the cultural and the social aspects of what we do in our countryside is really important and you know we don't want to lose our hay meadows we don't want to lose our fell farmers or we don't want to lose the herd of sheep in the lake district you know there's lots of really good reasons that are that we need to keep those things you know if we if we decide in the next 10 years to just get rid of the fell flocks um I can't go back from that, you know, we can't just suddenly, it's taken hundreds and hundreds of years to establish those boundaries and that hefting system. So this is, these are big decisions that should be given, you know, serious consideration. So what we feel is, and I'm not sure there is a real solution to the fell farming problem, but um, just resting, just getting rid of the sheep and resting it isn't working that well either. You know, you're not getting a true regeneration in that system. So our job is to sort of teach, teach the principles and, and test certain elements of the principles and, uh, and then try and find some pilot projects to demonstrate it to the best of our ability. But really, it's up to these individual farmers to get on board. And that's why, again, we, unlike a lot of the conservation organisations, which are buying up land so they can manage it in hand, which is obviously the easiest approach if you can find the money, because you've got complete control. But, you know, we just feel that our resources can be better leveraged if we do training and we work with sort of partnerships and management agreements. So we we, we're working on going into agreements with, you know, um, estates and and landowners where we help them transition. We sort of do consultancy arrangement or we can do some sort of long term management arrangement where we actually employ people to go in and and look after that estate uh, and get it back on its feet. You know, so those are the sorts of ideas that we're trying to explore um, and, and use our time and energy in the best way possible to get the maximum impact of the largest acreage, I suppose. Um, but it's very much about trying to find bespoke you know, solutions for each individual cultural problem. So in the Lake District, it'll look very different um, to the Highland situation on, on, on our, you know, a Moorland on the East Coast. And the Dales, again, totally different system. Culture is really important for its hay meadows and its field bands. So every situation would be adapted using the overall agroecological principles to sort of see how we can come up with something that's profitable for the farmer still encapsulates those really important area you know things that people want to see in that area and the heritage Um, and also as i say it's ultimately it's just got to make some money hasn't it
0: professor nehemiah mahindo is ceo of africa ipm alliance he's got a phd in entomology with 25 years' experience in building agroecological practices with small scale farmers in Kenya. Africa IPM Alliance works with this month's supporter TREEDOM to promote agroforestry in Kenya and Tanzania. They've distributed over 300,000 trees and helped over 5,000 farmers improve their living standards by introducing trees as part of their cropping system. One of the parts of TREEDOM model that works well. So when you purchase a tree, you also support training in agroecological practices and you get to see regular photos and updates keeping you abreast of the tree's journey through life.
3: We work with communities in promoting agroecology, promoting sustainable agriculture. In Kenya, we have different projects promoting soil fertility, promoting agroforestry and also promoting integrated pest management. For the last uh, uh, five years, we have worked with Treedom. We have established tree nurseries in different parts of the country. And uh, we distribute trees to the farmers. And uh, mainly we look at those trees of uh, good economic benefit to the, to, to the farmers, especially the fruit trees and those trees of with uh, medicinal value. With uh, to date, we have been able to work with over 5,000 farmers in uh, Kenya Roo in this tree dome project, and we have uh, we we have distributed uh, more than uh, 300,000 trees, trees of different species to the to the farmers. I would say that uh, this project has really helped uh, helped us and helped our farmers in Kenya to uplift, to uplift their living standard. Last week, we had a group of farmers who, who, which was celebrating because of the work that we did for them. They, because they are now uh, getting a lot of money from the, the harvesting of uh, avocados and bananas that we gave them. One of the medicinal trees that we are promoting is uh, Prunus africana. It's called the African sherry. And uh, they, we are also promoting Moringa oliveira as a medicinal tree. The other tree that we are promoting, which is medicinal, especially at the coast, is uh, nim as, an, as a director indica. Uh, currently, currently we are using them. The farmers are using them locally because they are known to be medicinal since long time uh, time in memory. With the technologies, I think, uh, like as a director indica, which is nim, uh, there are there are companies that are manufacturing some medicines and uh, exporting them but uh, for us we are doing it at uh, the local level farmers are using it locally we are distributing them for free is uh, one thing that is making farmers to really like the project and then the 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 selection of uh, the trees to use is also very strategic because we are not just planting trees we are planting trees that will have uh, good benefits to the farmers uh that will bring benefits to the farmers almost immediately the, and this is through improving the the the, the, the kind of the, the the kind of trees that we are giving them like uh, for avocados we are doing a lot of uh propagation a lot of grafting so that uh, we give them the improved varieties so that one is also uh giving uh, as a plus plus of course the the, the training that we are giving them And the the monitoring system by Tree Dom is also is also good because we uh, they 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 have a system where we take photographs and uh, that factor that uh, the the farmer feels secure when his tree is registered and they they are very happy. Before we give them trees, we train them on uh, best agricultural practices, not just for tree management but for the farm management. And then we zero down now to agroforestry, which is tree planting, and we go specifically to the trees that uh, we are we are distributing to the farmers, and we train them how to manage those trees, their requirements, how to uh, how to do even uh, pest management, how to do harvesting, and all that, including marketing, because marketing is also an issue. So it's a whole range of training from uh, production to to, to marketing. So farmers go through uh, all that orientation before and after they receive the the, the the trees. Lastly, those people, th- those people who buy those uh, photographs, some of them visit us. Like uh, this year, we received a few visitors at the beginning of the year before COVID-19 came. It's a very, very interesting program. I'll say that it is quite different from the others that. Uh, the conventional way of uh, telling farmers just plant trees and then uh, they plant no follow-ups, nothing. It is really working for us. We go back with other programs like uh, composting, like uh, the issue of seed selection, all those. So we do a lot of integration, a lot of integrating other projects into, our, into the TREEDOM program. I have always liked uh, agriculture, that is personal and the other thing is that uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a professor myself i am an entomologist and uh, i have always liked working with the with the communities i left teaching i was teaching in the university i left because i felt that i was not giving enough to the to the communities and uh, it's my passion that uh, I, I should help the farmers to improve their living standards through better ways of uh, farming. And uh, for the last, uh, almost, the, uh, it's now going to that years, I've been promoting organic agriculture, sustainable agriculture, so I have a lot of extensive uh, know-how on uh, organic, uh, sustainable agriculture systems. As an entomologist, I have been working with the with the university. I have been uh, working with the conventional uh, systems, but I always look at the at the other side of the coin. I thought that I would be one of those people who would uh, help our farmers to do to have a balance between the conventional agriculture and their way of living, and therefore we. I, I felt that if I concentrate uh, a lot of my research. On uh, especially uh, methods that are going to to remove the farmers' problems without the use a lot of use of uh, chemicals, I thought that uh, I would be of a lot of help to to the farmers, and that is what I have been doing. Abi, be, I tell you that I have done I have done some research on uh, the fusion of. Uh, agroecology or organic agriculture with the traditional farming methods in Kenya. I will tell you that most of the things were done by our grandfathers long ago. And uh, they used uh, different methods to like purify water. They used some plants to purify water and uh, those plants have either, uh, uh, some of them are there, some of them have become extinct, but some of the technologies were used long ago. So I would agree that uh, some of them were used of course there are some that have been uh, uh, developed by the scientists but uh, majority of them were there talk of uh, composting my grandmother used to tell me not to take uh, manure that is not uh, decomposed to the farm and you see she she, she would tell me that uh, the that manure would burn the seeds you see it's it's the same same principles so <laughs> I have done that, uh, that 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 study and it was very very interesting to see some of the things that were done by the great the, the our grandfathers that have been brought forward and now we are promoting them quite a lot one of the one of the one of the reasons why we agriculture is still behind in terms of uh, promotion in kenya is because we don't have uh, some policies that are promoting agroecology and uh, what we are now we uh, i'm happy to note that uh, the government is now keen to listen to people like us and uh, we we are now in the process of developing an agroecology policy in kenya so it's a it's something that is bright so they are they are they are really keen because uh at the international level farmers are suffering they can't sell their products because of uh, the residual levels so we i can see a bright future for uh, or agroecology in Kenya. The other thing is that farmers themselves are also becoming conscious of what they are eating. They, 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 they know that uh, they, want, they, they should eat safe uh, product uh, food that is safe from chemicals. And therefore, we I can see that uh, going forward, they will demand for services that are safe for them. I think tridom has the best model that I, can, I have ever worked with. And uh, 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 where farmers are shown how to how to do it, but they are also assisted in uh, in doing it. When we give these farmers these trees, you can see the appreciation, and you can even see transformation. I I wish I should I can share with you some of the some of the clips that uh, we we have about uh, what freedom has done, and uh, we well, the, the kind of work. The kind of assistance that they have given to our farmers is tremendous.
1: A few months ago, I read three posts on Instagram that really kind of rocked my soul into a state of alertness. <laughs> um, the words were were somewhat uncomfortable to me, but it also felt like they were saying something really like deeply true or something I'd felt deep down over the last few years but never been able to kind of bring into my consciousness or to vocalize. The posts were shared by Rishi Kumar known as Farmer Rishi. He's a gardener and grower and he teaches a regenerative gardening course. His idea or the idea he shared is that many of the words we use today for example, waste, environment, and even natural, are serving the degenerative economy and culture. And he proposes alternative words that provide a regenerative lens to allow for the development of regenerative culture. This interview includes a reference to suicide, so please listen with care. Here is Rishi reading his second post, which explores how we use the word environment, particularly in the environmental movement, and his proposal for the regenerative word to be used in its place, body.
4: The Language of Regeneration. This is a series where I will explore the words we use every day that serve the economy and culture of degeneration and offer alternative words and concepts to encourage the development of a regenerative culture. Part 2, Degenerative Environment, Regenerative Body. Save the environment. I am an environmentalist. You don't care about the environment. I study the environment, not biology. Plastic is bad for the environment. Meat is bad for the environment. I bought a Prius. It's good for the environment. The Impossible Burger is good for the environment, but it's bad for your health. Quote, John Mackey, CEO of Whole Foods. If I shower too long, it's bad for the environment. If I eat too much, it's bad for the environment. My shit, it's bad for the environment. I breathe out CO2, I'm bad for the environment. I am a pollutant. Where is the environment? It's out there. Where? There. Where am I? There. There. We're both there? Huh? Where does the environment start? Is it where my fingers end? Is it on my in-breath or my out-breath? Is it before I eat or after I poop? Where can I see it? Can you point me in its direction? I must be stupid. I can't find it. Why does it hurt here in my heart when the animals die? Why does it burn here in my lungs when the forests are ablaze? Why does it pain here in my gut when the soil is poisoned? Why can't I sleep when my family can't find rest from their pain, their hunger, their addiction? Why do I feel like I'm sinking as the waters rise? Is it because I'm weak? Why do I feel the pain in my body? Why does it feel like it's happening to me? It's just the environment, isn't it? Isn't it? All of this work is like, originally it was for me, you know, like I needed this because of uh, the extreme anxiety that I was going through. In the environmental conception, you are in opposition to the environment. Every shower you take is a consumption of water, which is creating waste water, which needs energy to process, which, need, you know, which is going to the ocean and gonna pollute the ocean. And that is a scary, you know, that's like a very anxiety-inducing uh, conception. And moving to the body, right? and understanding oh this is my this is my body and you know in this body there's no waste and in this body there's just movement of energy around and and there's more of a play and so it's not that i drink water and i create waste it's you know i drink water and i pee my gifts to the plants and then the plants you know give it back and we're just moving energy around and just understanding that that's our our role. I think that you know why the garden is such a beautiful place for us to understand these things is that that's what we do as gardeners. A lot of times we're just moving things around. We take the leaves to the compost pile. We take the compost to the plants. We take the fruit to our family. We take the food scraps back to the compost. We trim the trees and we chop them up and we feed them. And that's basically what we're doing. We're just we just move, you know. and, and I think. You know this is where a lot of people get stuck with gardening is they're trying to grow the plants no like you don't grow the plant you move the energy to make the energy available to the plant and it takes you out of this fighting conception and this opposition conception and just understanding that this is my role as the organ my role as the organ is to move and to to give gifts you know to be the the transporter of gifts
1: So if we could look at the first one, which you named, if you could say it yourself, but you named it as degenerative waste and regenerative gift or offering.
4: Yeah, yeah. The reason I made this the first one that I shared is uh, because I think it's just really accessible. There are so many great metaphors that make it clear. And so waste, right? Like we have this idea. And along with that, we have some other concepts like with waste. We also have consumption. We also have pollution. Um, but the idea is that something has value right and then that thing whatever it is that value is used and in the use of that value the value is destroyed and so then we have this thing that's waste and waste is something that needs to be thrown away waste is something that needs to be put away from us that you know we don't want near us it's it's disgusting it's you know it's going to harm us it's it's this negative thing right we have so many terms for waste right we have food waste we have wastewater we have human waste we have animal waste we have industrial waste like there's so many things in our world that we call waste we have this concept that something can be you know through one instant one Use or one consumption be instantly devalued to the point where it can't be redeemed; it's reached the end of its life. And being in the garden, this concept becomes obviously not true. And, and you know, composting is is the is definitely like the the most easily accessible metaphor for this, where you know all of the leaves that come from your garden all the plant bodies that come from your garden all of the food scraps you know all your leftovers from your kitchen you know these aren't waste these are actually gifts and you know our job as a gardener is not to take the material and judge it and say oh leaves bad you know food waste bad our job as a gardener is to just say okay here's this gift who is Wanting this gift, who is this gift for? And you know, for me, in understanding this concept even more deeply, it was like it's not just that it's not waste. It's not just that actually all these these things have value. It's that in seeing that value, we're understanding our connection. It's not just a the waste. These are actually the gifts that bind us to our community in this garden. And I, I kind of see everything as just layers of gardens now so these things that we call waste are actually the ties between us and even you know with this you know the global zero waste movement it's not about reducing you know the amount of trash you create to zero right like that's not really the goal the goal is just recognizing that nothing is trash and you know i talk about things i'm really talking about people too like no one is trash no person is trash no person is waste and everyone has value and how can we recognize each other's value and how can we, you know, encourage each other and, and strengthen each other and lift each other up?
1: Okay. Brilliant. Thank you. And then the third one.
4: <laughs> this is the most controversial one.
1: <laughs> the degenerative term was natural or also unnatural. And the regenerative term was healthy and to feel whole.
4: Yeah, yeah. This is this is the one that uh, for me was the most difficult, and actually was part of the the trigger of my the breakdown that I experienced. And I think this is something that is still probably the one that's going to be the most controversial and the least understood. Uh, and I think the most important for us to, to move through and to understand. And this is, you know, this is in the environmental world, this is in uh, you know, the permaculture world, I hear this a lot, and I, and I still hear it a lot in the regenerative world. I really feel like this is a, a major missing piece to the conversation. You know, we hear things like, we need to be more natural. You know, we need to do, do what nature does. Copy nature's systems. We're disconnected from nature, right? What this definition tells you is nature doesn't include you. Nature doesn't need you. Nature isn't benefited by you. And and you hear this so much, right, like especially with the pandemic. You know, look how the trees are doing. Look how the air is clean. Look how the the birds are singing. Look how the animals are coming back now that we're locked up inside right because you're not nature you could never benefit anything that's out there the best thing you can do is lock yourself inside and actually the best thing you could do you know which is really the underlying uh, message in all of this which is very dark is that the best thing you can do is to kill yourself the bottom of the message is that like you have no function here you have no beneficial purpose and you know given that the world is in this state of crisis and Climate change is happening. What's the best thing you can do? You can make your impact zero, right? You can reduce your footprint to zero. You can make your waste zero. You can make your carbon impact zero. Where does that lead you? That leads you to how do I make myself zero? And I don't know if we're not hearing that's what we're saying or what it is, but you know. And then you see this among the environmental movement. Like You meet longtime environmentalists a lot of them are depressed a lot of you know a lot of us are depressed and and we don't see a way out cuz we are constantly seeing this opposition and so yeah if we keep going towards what's natural we'll never understand what we actually need to do right that's not a guide for us once we understand okay i am nature then a lot of these questions we ask ourselves like what's natural like Everything is natural. You know, how the hell does that help me make any decision? What's natural? What's unnatural? That's, that's a completely uh, invalid question, right? What I do need to ask myself is what actually makes me feel healthy? What makes me feel whole? What makes me feel connected? What makes me feel nourished? Like, those are the important questions, not what's natural. And remembering that my health is the earth's health, right? And not seeing that as opposition. Like this is a completely different way of thinking where you're saying, if I'm stressed, if I'm anxious, then taking a bath, you know, with hot water and a candle is healing the earth is a reversal of climate change. You know, it's going against that tide, you know, because it's healing for me. So let's focus on what's, what's healing and not what's natural.
1: As Farmer Rishi says, the third post is the most controversial and it definitely needs a bit more time to explore. You can head to at Farmer Rishi on Instagram to read all three of these posts and let us know what you think. You can check out his other projects on his website, FarmerRishi.com. If you are interested in exploring regenerative gardening further, then you can sign up for his online regenerative gardening course with Kiss the Ground.
0: This episode of Farmerama was produced by me, Joe Barrett, Abby Rose, and Katie Revel. Our Patreon supporters help make Farmerama possible. We're very grateful, and even the smallest contribution makes a big difference to us. If you'd like to consider becoming a supporter, visit patreon.com, forward slash Farmerama. Community support for Farmerama is provided by Hannah Sutherland, Fran Bailey, Annie Landless, Eliza Jenkins, and Olivia Oldham. Our theme music is by Owen Barrett.
1: Toodaloo!